Welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Today's episode of the Audiobook Speakeasy is being brought to you by Jess, the audiobookworm. You may remember Jess from when she was my guest here in the Speakeasy back on episode 17. Jess specializes in audiobook promotion, and she has a new publication out titled The Narrator Resource Guide, where she offers all kinds of helpful information about promoting your narration business and your audiobooks. So if you've been dragging your feet when it comes to branding and promoting your business, head on over to audiobookwormpromotions.com to learn more about the guide and see if it might be just what you need to get moving. You can find it under services. And with promo code COCKTAILS, you can get a $10 discount. And speaking of cocktails, let's head on into the speakeasy. My guest tonight is an audiobook narrator who also coaches narrators. And he gives me a hat trick when it comes to interviewing fellow podcast hosts. First, Casey Trowbridge back on episode 9, and more recently, Marnie Young on episode 31. James Anderson Foster, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad you could make it. What are you drinking tonight, James? Uh, Tonight, I am drinking a Bloody Mary. A Bloody Mary? No kidding. I just bought ingredients for, for my first Bloody Mary. I have never made one. I have never had one before. And I thought this, I, I just, I got to do one of these. Really? Because it's a classic drink and I've never had it because I've never really liked tomato juice. But I figure eh, maybe vodka will help that. So uh, what, what type of Bloody Mary are you <laughs> drinking? I know that Bloody Marys are all over the map. You know, it's a it's a pretty simple, and I, I feel bad saying this. It's Bloody Mary mix and, and vodka. It's uh, Mr. and Mrs. T's is the name of the mix. Um, but I, I I always feel like I'm cheating. My uh, paternal grandfather uh, had a like a secret recipe. Bloody Mary was really famous in Oregon, so much so that uh, he was a, a member of the Masons and the Elks, and and ended up being like the grand master of Oregon, oh, wow. uh, all of Oregon for the Elks. Um, and, and I'm told it is specifically because he had this secret Bloody Mary mix. And the Elks, unlike the Masons, they drink at lodge meetings. And uh, so, yeah, they, they kept uh, moving him higher up in the hierarchy so that he would keep making and bringing uh, the Bloody Mary mix. I have no <laughs> idea where great. this secret re- but, uh, yeah, so I feel like I'm cheating whenever I just, uh, yeah, you know, a mix is fine. <laughs> That's fine using a mix as far as I'm concerned. I actually bought straight tomato juice and uh, I looked at a package of celery salt and figured out it's just celery seed and salt. So I figured I'd make my own, but I haven't mm-hmm. made one yet. Um, I will post something <laughs> somewhere when I finally make a Bloody Mary and hopefully it will come out well. My wife has actually had one recently where she's pretty sure that instead of tomato juice, they actually just took tomatoes and put them in a blender. And I'm thinking that's probably going to make a better Bloody Mary, but I really want to try just a, a regular classic recipe before I, I branch out. You know, it's, uh, it, it, they're, they're pretty easy to make, uh, but it's, it's even easier to just buy it pre-mixed. Yeah, yeah, no, understood. Well, I'm joining you tonight with uh, one of the favorite drinks here in the speakeasy, which is a martini. Uh, but this is slightly different. This is what I call an... Indian-Italian martini. 
Uh, I'm using a new gin that I just got called Opir, or at least that's the way I think you pronounce it. It's O-P-I-H-R. And uh, it's very different for a gin. It's mm-hmm. it's really kind of spicy. Got some pepper in there and some uh, Indian spices. So it's a, it's a little different, uh, spicy in that way. And then I'm using hand-stuffed, sun-dried tomato-stuffed olives. And uh, so I'm calling it an, an Indian-Italian or Italian-Indian martini. And uh, it's quite good. Wow, that sounds really nice. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. So uh, so thanks for coming into the speakeasy tonight. Cheers. Cheers. All right, so James, where are you from? Um, well, I, I was born in Los Angeles, California. Oh. Moved up to Portland, Oregon as a, a wee lad of seven and uh, stayed there until I joined the military at 18. Um, but for the past 20 years, I've been here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Ah, so what branch of the military? Regular Army. Regular Army. My dad was Regular Army. Yeah. Here in here in Tucson, we have a big Air Force base, but uh, I imagine there are probably some Army folks around as well, uh, maybe who have retired here since Arizona seems to be a popular retirement place. Um, so L.A., where were you, uh, where did you live in L.A. until you were seven? Orange County. Oh, what part? Uh, honestly, I have no clue. <laughs> it was long ago, long, long ago enough to where uh, you really don't know, huh? Yeah, you know, I would recognize the apartment complex if I saw it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I have no idea where it was. Yeah, that's that's funny. You know, you grow up and life is is just what it is, and then uh, you forget all about it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I grew up in Whittier, which is very close to Orange County, and so I spent a lot of time going across the border and uh, meeting with friends in La Habra and uh, Fullerton and other places down there. But uh, anyway, so you moved up to uh, in, up to the Portland area, you said. Yep. And, uh, and then you got into the army. Did you go to school any place after the army GI bill? Uh, uh, you know, I went to the university of Oregon. Um, yeah, go ducks. Uh, got, got my, uh, incredibly lucrative comparative religious studies, uh, degree there. So, um, comparative religious studies. Wow. You and I can have some very long discussions that I won't bore my listeners with. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that. I, I found that's pretty much what that degree is good for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, well, actually, to be fair, it uh, I did a number of Joseph Campbell titles uh, for Brilliance Audio. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my undergraduate uh, education really, uh, you know, it it, it 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 like filled its purpose there. Like that was that's what that's what it's calling was for is narrating his book. Well, that's um, right. So why is that? Well, you know, he uh, first he's a, a comparative religious studies. In fact, his, uh, his show, the power of myth, the Bill Moyers interview that PBS airs whenever it wants money. Um, that was like the thing that really pushed me into comparative religious studies. And, uh, so, you know, I, I, I have this sort of broad, uh, knowledge of religion, East and West, and that's what he drew on for all of his books. And I, I remember walking in, uh, to go see the casting directors there. I was, uh, on location in, in Michigan and mentioned in the prep book, some of these fonts appear like they, they didn't download with the book. Uh, so the words don't make any sense. And they said, oh, well, hold on, we'll, we'll get on the phone about that. And I was like, no, don't worry about it. It, it looks like it's just the Sanskrit and the Greek. So I, I know what those words are. <laughs> That's great and, when you can take that kind of a background <laughs> into a book. Right. And, and, you know, as cool as it was to be able to say that, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I realized, oh, I sound like that guy. <laughs> um, but I, di- I didn't care. I said it anyway. And, uh, yeah, it worked out well. 
Well, that's great. I got to look that up. I'm not familiar with um, the power of myth. The, the title actually sounds familiar, um, but I'm, I'm not familiar with his name. So I'll look up the books that you've done and uh, and see what might pique my interest there, since that's something that I listen to uh, a lot of about religious things. Um, so comparative religion, and then mm-hmm. uh, you moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah, um, my my wife did her uh, master's degree at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music here in town. And, uh, you know, we just sort of never left. Ah, what was her focus in music? Uh, music theory and history and uh, a little performance. She sings and plays the piano. Oh, that's very cool. I, I took some music theory when I was in college, and I love music theory. And I'm, I'm singing in a chorus now, and I love music theory. Music history is actually the reason that I got out of my music major, because <laughs> I just, I kept doing worse and worse in the in the in the music history courses that I took. And I thought, I'm going to start failing these courses. And for a music major, you can't fail music history. And it, it, it's one of those things where it's kind of sad. You know, you grow up and you look back and you go, damn, I wish I'd spent more time on that. Because now, as an adult, as a you know full-grown person, I think I would actually be really fascinated by a lot of the music history that I could just not get into when I was younger. But uh, uh, but I love music theory. It's, that's good stuff. So good for your wife. Is she doing any uh, music right now? You know, uh, she vicariously, she's been, uh, we started my oldest, who's 13 now. Uh, we started him in Suzuki cello when he was three. And, uh, you know, so she was the, the music mom, uh, you know, helping with that. Now he's mm-hmm. in marching band in oh, high cool. school. He plays the trumpet because you can't march with a cello. I was going to say, yeah, that's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she's still, you know, the the dedicated music mom. And we've got another three-year-old now. And uh, they're they're picking out musical instruments. Um, She actually ended up going into accounting. And apparently, you know, math and, and number crunching hit all those same areas in her brain as music theory did. Absolutely. And it, it turns out, I mean, it was a, a literal one-to-one, oh, yeah, I've got this, and yeah, she's she's a whiz at it. Totally understand that. I went from a music major to a math major, and yeah. and it was seamless. It was it was unfortunate, <laughs> too, because I, I um, stopped the music major right before 20th century music, which has a lot of atonal stuff in it, and it's all math. And so I thought, damn, I wish I'd just stayed one more quarter. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is seamless because there is a ton of math in music. And uh, so that, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, that's you great, know, though, that, that you're encouraging the kids with music. I personally think that it is one of the best things that my parents ever did for me was piano lessons and clarinet and and just being involved in music. I, I think that it is fantastic for kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, it does uh, amazing things for their, their brain development uh, just across the board. It's, it's not just, uh, you know, what learning music does for them. And you've got the discipline of regular practice. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. there's the benefits far outweigh the I don't want to struggle with the kids when those come up. Yeah, so. no, I, I completely agree. So you moved out there and uh, you were doing the, your wife was doing the music thing. What were you doing? I, you know, I was working uh, to while she was uh, going to school, supporting her. We ended up uh, buying a, a duplex out here, living in half of it, renting out the other half. Um, then we started thinking seriously about kids. And so we bought another house and uh, that's, I think that's really what anchored us out here. The, the cost of living is so much more sane 
than than back home in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah. That uh, you know, and we still have that duplex, and we still have the house, and uh, you know, I'm I'm still working. I was actually doing. Uh, I I went to school when she was done, and uh, I pursued clinical psychology, and uh, I worked as a therapist. I did a lot of work uh, in user experience, uh, corporate consulting. Um, one of the nice things about uh, as technology advances and things get, you know, more and more wearable and, and, you know, they're everywhere. The thing that doesn't change is the, you know, the dumb people that are trying to use it. Yeah. Human uh, beings haven't evolved that much in the past 10 yeah. years. <laughs> so that, that made me pretty indispensable to be able to sit into a, sit in a room with engineers and say, you know what, that sounds awesome. Nobody's ever going to be able to do that. Or, you know, hand down wisdom, like, uh, you know, if you have the function and they can't find the function, you don't have the function. Uh-huh. It, so that was my job for a long time until I discovered narrating. And, uh, you know, that's just taken off and here I am. So when was that? So you were doing the, the you went to back to school and you did the clinical psychology thing, working with the companies. When did the, when did you get into narration and how did that happen? You know, I was actually, uh, Driving home, I, I did a nine-month gig out at um, the University of Northern Colorado, and uh, you know it's a nineteen-hour drive, and uh, not a good commute. No, no. So you know, I went. The family stayed here, and it was on the drive back, and and I was listening to audiobooks, and I had been listening to audiobooks for some time, but I was you know paying you know really close attention. You know, I was really curating what I was going to listen to over these nineteen hours. Uh, because it had to keep me awake. I was going to try and do it straight through. Oh, yikes. That's a hell of a drive. Yeah. We, uh, tell me about it. And it's, <laughs> what, what you can do at 20, because uh, my, my wife and I drove out here from, from Portland when we came. Uh, yeah. W- w- what you can do in your 20s is not what you can do in your mid-40s. Oh, not at all. <laughs> I, I used to do day trips to go skiing from the Bay Area to Tahoe. So I would drive for four hours, ski all day, and then drive home. If I think about doing that now, I just laugh. I would be dead. <laughs> There's just no way that would work. <laughs> Drive for four hours, recuperate for a night, ski the next day, recuperate exactly. for a yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was, I was lining up these audiobooks, and uh, it was on that drive back. I was listening to uh, uh, the Sandman Slim series with uh, McLeod Andrews and the Iron Druid, Druid series with Luke Daniels. And it was, you know, just one of those light bulb moment, moments for me where I realized, oh, my God, people do this <laughs> like this. This is a job. Actors, uh, you know, they, they get paid to do this. And, and I, you know, I, I had been bitten by the acting bug early on. I, I acted throughout high school. I, I, you know, I was one of those nerds that lettered in drama, ah. um, did, did some acting in college but then I realized, you know, God, nobody's ever going to get, you, you, you're not going to get a paid acting job. You're, you're, you're going to be homeless. You need to do something responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then I, I realized on that drive that th- these are actually actors and they're, they're getting paid. And I wonder how in the world you do this. Like what, what, what do you have to do? So by the, finished the drive, got home. And, uh, when I, when I woke up a day and a half later, <laughs> I went online and, did a Google search for audiobook narration. ACX popped up and I thought, um, all right, what the heck? I'll do it. And uh, in- invested a little bit in a mic and, a, you know, kind of a, a makeshift recording corner. Uh, auditioned, got a few books and it just kind of snowballed from there. I And I haven't looked back. 
off and running. That's that's great. Yeah. So so that's really interesting because a lot of the people that I talk to here in the speakeasy and just in general about audiobooks, they certainly have an acting background. And when you were talking about going to the military and then uh, psychology and and all of these different things, I'm thinking, so that's not really an acting background. <laughs> so it's really interesting to hear that ever since high school, you actually had an acting bug. So all along, you had sort of a performance interest, even if that's not what you were doing. Absolutely. And the Army was total acting for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, maybe it's a good thing that you weren't in a war zone then, or were you? Uh, yeah, I was in a 1,000-man uh, rapid uh, deployment cavalry unit, and we spearheaded the 7th Corps invasion of Iraq during uh, Gulf War One, the prequel. Holy crap. I remember that time well. Uh, I, that was, I was a news junkie back then, and I was working at uh, Bank of America, and I was listening to the radio 24-7. When I was at work, when I was supposedly working, I was listening and following along with uh, what was happening. Wow. Um, so that's quite a shift from something like that into corporate uh, psychology, uh, you know, studies or, uh, <laughs> dealing with user experiences and then going to narration. That's, uh, that's quite a shift that you've had in your careers. Uh, you know, and that's leaving off the time period I spent as a monk. Um, yikes, <laughs> no kidding. What kind of monk was that? Uh, Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist. Yeah. And where was that? Uh, well, I did my monastic training up in a place called Karmatriana Dharma Chakra in, uh, the, it's above Woodstock, New York in the Catskill mountains. Uh, um, but then I, I lived for a while, uh, you know, bald in, in a dress in a little Buddhist Dharma center in Portland. In fact, uh, when I started at the university of Oregon, I was still a Buddhist monk. Uh, fortunately, uh, university of Oregon is in Eugene, which is kind of a hippie town. Mm -hmm. So being bald in a dress, I didn't get any, you know, no funny looks. <laughs> um, that, that is really fascinating. I'm sure that, uh, I, I won't bore anybody listening with this story, but <laughs> holy cow, you and I could sit down and I would, I would love to talk to you for a good six hours straight about the, uh, comparative religion and the Buddhist monk stuff and, and, uh, all, all along that, but getting back to audiobooks, So, <laughs> so you didn't get into voiceover, you got into audiobooks and it was absolutely str straight yeah. into audiobooks. And are you doing any other sort of voiceover at this point or are, is it just audiobooks when it comes to sitting in front of a mic? It is, it is just audiobooks. Uh, you know, I, I have one side project, which is a podcast and that podcast is about audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I love, I love the medium, you know, it's, there's something, something so visceral about human beings telling other human beings stories, even, even nonfiction story, you know, even nonfiction titles, sure, there's yeah. just something, yeah, there's, there's something about, um, that that primal communication yeah i love it i love it storytelling yeah the the way you're describing that it makes me think about the fact that a lot of stories are um are passed down through generations just sitting around campfires yeah yeah so um, and, so that's great i definitely want to want to get into the podcast too but um go, but going back to the audiobook so you hit mm -hmm. the ground running i mean you decided okay well this sounds great people actually do this oh i'm going to look into it oh look i can get a job and so you started narrating pretty quickly um, what, how did that progress? Um, did it progress pretty rapidly and, uh, you made relationships with authors or publishers or was it all through ACX for a couple of years or, or what happened in that, in that beginning period? 
you know, it, it really did progress uh, rapidly. I did, uh, you know, one or two books uh, here and there. And, and, you know, fortunately, I think uh, it, it was the first the first two books, two or three books that I auditioned for, I got. Uh, so, you know, that positive feedback kept me coming back to to do more. And then I landed um, the first book in the Adrian's Undead Diary series. And uh, the author, Chris Philbrook, had already built up this huge uh, fan base. I mean, really dedicated fan base. And so as soon as those books started coming out, these people started buying them. And that's that's when I realized, oh, you know, this this could really be a career. Um, You know, I I had a couple, um, you know, I had a couple ten thousand dollar months just on royalty share. Oh, that's great. uh, Through this. Right. And that's when I start thinking, okay, this is this isn't a hobby, you know. Uh, So. um, Right. This is probably around month three. And uh, I, I had I had made Facebook friends with uh, Luke Daniels, with McLeod Andrews, Scott Brick, uh, you know, just a bunch of people. I started getting involved in the forums, lurking in the corner, trying to to get whatever information I could. Um, yeah, I, communicating with Scott Brick, who is uh, not only an amazing talent and an amazing wealth of information, but ridiculously generous with his communication too. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That I mean, that was hugely helpful. Uh, and I spent about a good year and a half just doing ACX. And um, oh, what was it 20, late 2014, maybe early 2015, uh, there was an APA mixer that was scheduled in uh, Michigan by Tanya Eby. And I thought, you know what? It's close. It's six hours. I'm going to, I'm going to make it. I'm going to go out and drive. Uh, enough people had said over and over and over again that, you know, in this business, you have to meet people, you know, the, the publishers hire people they know. And I thought, well, okay, I, I have to get out of Cincinnati and, and see some people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I made the drive out there and, you know, was a complete and total nervous wallflower. Uh, <laughs> they, they had an open bar, which helped tremendously. Undoubtedly. You know, and, uh, then Luke Daniels, showed up of all people. And I, I worked up the courage to go up and say hi. I was like, hi, um, I'm James Foster. We're Facebook friends. And, uh, you know, he it immediately outgoing. He was like, oh yeah, James. And he, you know, he, he talked about pictures I post of my kid on Facebook. And I told him the story about how he was one of my inspirations to, for getting into audiobooks. And he said, oh, you know what? That's fantastic. And then he started talking about my books. Oh, wow. That he had that he had listened to Very which cool. blew my mind. Yeah. And and he immediately walked me over to uh, the three casting directors from Brilliance Publishing, introduced me to them, and then like proceeded to talk me up as though he and I had been best friends for, you know, 50 years. And uh, I mean, it's like my entire professional career. I, I kind of I think, owe to Luke Daniels saying, yeah, I've listened to this guy and he's good. Wow, that's fantastic. I love yeah. hearing stories like that. To go back for just a second, so you, mm-hmm. only a few months in, you had some great months on royalty share projects. Now, yeah. I, I hear that and I think that's fantastic. I love hearing stuff like that. Um, I suspect, although I don't have the data to back this up, but I suspect that that is an outlier. Would you agree with oh, that? Oh, God. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. I just want to make sure that nobody <laughs> listening gets the impression that, oh, my God, what am I doing wrong? I didn't have a $10,000 month. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I was, it was total, absolute luck. I mean, it, it really was the perfect storm of, you know, an, an author willing to take a chance on a new guy who, you know, he, he thought I sounded great and fit the part. Um, but also, I mean, he had a rabid fan base and he had a rabid fan base for a reason. Um, the books were good. And if he wasn't writing, he was promoting and mm. he was traveling constantly going to conventions. I mean, the guy was not, this was his literal full-time job writing and promoting. Um, and so yeah, I, you that's, know, that's huge. That promotion. I'm not going to say, you know, he's the entire reason for my success. I, I have enough ego to say that, yeah, I think I did a good job on those books. Mm -hmm. But, um, oh, I mean, there was so much. I mean, I, I absolutely lucked into that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. I've I've had um, uh, I think about half of the books that I've done, maybe less than half were royalty share. And I think I've only had one that has really earned out. And some of the others, yeah, they do OK. Um, and some of the others, nah, not really getting any revenue there. Um, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think that the having somebody who within a few months has a huge month because of royalty share is a little bit unusual. It's great, but a little bit unusual. <laughs> oh, it's more than a little bit unusual. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, well, that's good. It, it sounds like it, it got off to a great start for a lot of good reasons. Um, I like the fact that you recognize the fact that there was some luck there. I think that um, Jeffrey Kafer just posted recently, you know, here are the things to success, you know, this, this, and the other thing. And a lot of it is just luck. I mean, it's where you are yeah. and who you meet. And I, I think that is true, having done some other voiceover work as well that uh, there's a lot of that in voiceover in general. Uh, and and for that matter, in creative endeavors and performance in general. Um, sure, yeah. Is, you know, who you know and who you talk to and and who you just by random have an opportunity to talk to. Um, and, you know, that, that doesn't always happen. And when it does, it's it's great. So uh, so that sounds great as a way to uh, to get into it and to convince you that you could continue going in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and honestly, it was, it was luck that got me in with publishers. You know, I, it, I was lucky that Luke Daniels was there. Uh, you know, lucky that he accepted the friend request request on Facebook from an absolute nobody. Mm -hmm. Uh, lucky that he had happened to listen to one of my titles, at least the, you know, the five minute preview or, you know, I don't know if he listened to the whole thing or not. And honestly, I don't care. I was just thrilled that he knew my name. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then I, you know, I was, I was so lucky that he, he took the, his time, uh, there at the mixer to, you know, make 15 minutes about me. I mean, that, that was, that was so so generous of him. And I was so lucky to be the recipient of that. And it was, it was because of that, because I, I mean, I firmly believe it was because that, he, because he took the time to do that, that I was then able to, I mean, my first publisher gig was with brilliance, not too long after that. And then once they took a chance on me, then, you know, that, that, that kind of makes it okay for another publisher to say, all right, well, you know, yep. they, 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 they hired you and then they hired you again. So you're, you're reliable. We'll give you a shot. And yeah, I mean, my entire career here is, is just based on luck. I think a little uh, tiny, little bit of talent. Right. I, I would say more than, more than a tiny <laughs> bit. I mean, my guess is that if Luke had, had listened to some of what you've, you had done and thought, 
oh, well, that's crap. When you had met him in person, you know, nothing would have <laughs> happened after that. So, so I would say that it's probably uh, not just a tiny bit of talent. Uh, clearly, you were doing something right. But, um, but hey, that's a, that's a great blend of, of luck and talent. Um, going forward from there, have you, have you gotten into any kind of a specialty niche? I mean, is there something specific that you focus on? Or do you narrate all kinds of different things? Uh, is there anything that you won't narrate? Uh, you know, um, I'm going to answer that backwards because it's easiest. I, at this point, I, I, a few years ago, I probably would have said there's nothing I wouldn't narrate. Um, but there is, now there is. I, um, I've done some uh, true crime uh, focusing on kids you know, where, where, and have it being a dad myself and I, not just a dad, but I'm I'm like that dad, you know, I, my, my kids are awesome and I'm happily, I will happily tell you about them and show you a billion pictures on my phone. Mm -hmm. And, um, and those were tough. I, those I can imagine. Doing, and, um, I just, I don't, I, I don't think I can do that. Just thinking about any kid getting hurt in any way, uh, just it, 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 it's too much for me. I mean, I'm even, I'm stammering now talking about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's out. Um, no, that, that, that's, that's one of those things. I, I could see yeah. how that could be very difficult for people in certain positions. I don't have kids. My guess is I would not have quite that much of a visceral reaction, but, uh, you never know. Uh, I haven't read anything like that. And so I think that that's great if you recognize the fact that, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I, 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 in, in order to do the book, right. I, you know, I would have to invest in myself or invest myself in the book to, to such an extent that it would make me really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, it just, it, yeah. So not again, I, I was able, I did it twice and, uh, you know, but I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn down probably an incredibly lucrative, uh, narration gig for something like that. Um, but it would have to be super lucrative uh, God, and even then, I'm e saying that even then I, I might have to turn it down. Yeah, it no, just, that's good to know. Yeah, uh, but beyond that, I'm I'm a pretty solid mix between uh, nonfiction and and fiction, which is nice. Um, it makes me really like super bland when I'm you know when you've got that two minute uh, window with like a casting director and they mm -hmm. say, so what kind of books do you narrate? And then you're like, well. What about 50-50 split, nonfiction, fiction? Great, you've told me nothing about you. <laughs> uh, um, but, it, I mean, it, it really is. It's it's kind of a, a you know, uh, the roll of the dice, which or a flip of a coin, I guess, 50-50, what, what I'm going to get next, either nonfiction or, or fiction. I, I love doing both. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an avid learner still, I you know, and nonfiction books are fantastic for that. Um, you know, listening to you talk about how, you know, you, you kind of regret changing your major. Uh, I God, I think college is wasted on kids. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I know, thought that so many times too. <laughs> we, if, if we could, if we could rework our system so that like right out of high school, you just go get a job or something, or, you know, go to, go to a vocational school. And then like when you hit 40, 45, something like that, then you have an opportunity to take like a college sabbatical. Yep. Oh, that would be awesome. I, I um, totally agree. I, I can't tell you how, how much I agree with that statement. I have thought so many times, not just me, but so many people that I know would have benefited so much from saying, nope, not going to college, even though that's what you're supposed to do, but doing something else. And then 10 years later, after you have some life experience, 
knowing what you want to learn about, and then you would actually be so focused. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, totally uh, get that. um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I love that aspect of, of nonfiction titles, but I also, I mean, I'm, I'm an actor and I, I love fiction as well. Um, so in fiction, what do you, if, what do you really like doing? Um, you know, I, I love urban fantasy. I just, I, there's something about it. I, I love the, it, there, there's such a blend of other genres that come into it. So I know that phrase um, describe to me what, uh, what is urban fantasy? So, um, urban fantasy is like, uh, do you remember like the, the fantasy slash horror movies in the eighties? Oh Yeah. Right. It's kind of like that in, in, in that, uh, and I, and I don't mean just like the, the cheerleader, uh, you know, slash and blood and boobs. Mm -hmm. Um, but the fact that they were like all over the place, you know, uh, gremlins, uh, yeah. yeah, uh, and, And that's kind of what urban fantasy is, right? So it's, it's typically set in the real world you know, most often modern times, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's very little world building, but the idea is there's always something just outside of the, the, the normal perception that, that most people aren't aware of going on, whether it's, you know, monsters, zombies, magic, whatever there's, just, it's just its own little sort of sub community outside uh, the awareness, you know, just outside the periphery of the normal person's awareness, interacting with everybody. And, you know, most normal people don't even notice it until something, you know, bites them or, or blows up in, in magical flames or, you know, whatever. Until they find the body. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are so many cool tropes that make their way into urban fantasy. A lot of it is very noirish. There's a lot of uh, mystery. There's, I mean, God, there's a ton of romance in urban fantasy. Um, and, and there's some real, I think, solid, uh, social investigation, commentary and critique going on as well. You know, there, there are things you can say about society without painting this huge sign saying, we're talking about minorities here when you can kind of make it about, uh, you know, a, a marginalized fictional group. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm going to out myself as a massive nerd here. Do you remember <laughs> the X, do you remember the X-Men in the eighties? No, that, that is not uh, something see, that I remember from that time okay. period. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's, that was me. That's uh, fine. But be a nerd, whole, be a nerd, James, be a nerd, embrace the nerdiness. I own it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but they spent a lot of time, uh, you know, making a, a social commentary on our treatment of people that were other. Uh, because uh, the, the the mutants were they you know they they were a different kind of superhero they were they were changed they were genetically different and you know there was they they got to do a lot of cool things with people that were envious of them but then became angry because i can never you know you 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 represent this pinnacle that i can never achieve because it's genetic mm-hmm. and then we'll wait a minute what you know if we're different species almost are we competitors? Are we, are you someday going to, you know, just all of this, um, the whole gamut of human emotions when faced with the other that they were able to explore there. And you can see the same thing in urban fantasy as well, along with, you know, a solid noir mystery with tons of snark. And, uh, I love it. Mm-hmm. If, if you couldn't tell, I, I enjoy that. No, it, it certainly sounds like <laughs> you do. And, and this will lead right into 
you have recently started a podcast that I believe deals a lot with what you were just talking about. Uh, you know, it, it does, and I, I kind of blame you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is your so, podcast? It's called Sorceress, an urban fantasy podcast. Um, and I focus on audiobooks because, again, that's, that's my other passion. Um, I, I talk to authors of urban fantasy, narrators of urban, urban fantasy. Um, I talk to a reviewer. We do, um, I, I've narrated a couple of shorts, uh, you know, either standalone short stories or excerpts from other books. Basically, it's just exploring that in th the entire genre and the people that, that make it. it it's sort of a, uh, an homage to the creators of this thing that I love. Um, and it kind of, and, it, and I say, I blame you. It, it started when I asked on Facebook, I mean, I was looking for a podcast to listen to mm -hmm. and couldn't find one anywhere. And so I asked on, on Facebook, uh, Hey, does anybody know of a good, uh, urban fantasy podcast that focuses on audiobooks, preferably? And, um, I got so many responses that were a combination of, um, oh my God, I can't believe there's no such thing. This should really happen. Why don't you do it? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think I said something like, you know, this is, it's kind of frustrating. If I really can't find one, I, I may just have to do it. And then I, I asked casually, you know, like, Hey Rich, what's, you know, what, what's involved with this or something like that. And you posted this very thoughtful, like three paragraph response of a ton of information. And I looked at that <laughs> and I thought, well, I could do that. Why not? Yeah. How, how hard could it be? How much time could it take? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you have found out that it takes a lot of time. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, go, going in, I was like, God, I've already got the audio equipment. This, this should be no problem. I'll just pull people up and talk to them. And, uh, no, it's, I, not, it's so, not so many that things. Easy, is it? <laughs> All the things that I never wanted to know about RSS mm -hmm. feeds and, and yep. just, Yeah hosting the podcast. So that, so that took me a while. I actually started listening to, I don't know if you have found this yet. Um, the audacity to podcast is the name of a podcast that I started listening to. And mm -hmm. there was so much good information there about how to start a podcast. Once you have a podcast, how to promote your podcast. Once you have your podcast, um, how you can move forward and what you can do in this way and what you can do it that way and the, and the technical aspects and whether or not you should have a co-host and all of these other things. And so I listen to that a lot. Um, I, I can't remember. It's Daniel. I can't remember his last name right now who, who, um, who, has the, who hosts that podcast. He hasn't posted in a long time. He had some um, personal issues that came up in, in the meantime, I, I think for about the past six months or so. And he's only posted once or twice. But I found so much great information. So I would refer you to the earlier episodes of that podcast. Maybe look through the titles and see if there's something that, that you think might be helpful. I found it really helpful. I was doing a lot of cycling at the time and I was listening to his podcasts and thinking, well, I could do it this way. I could do it that way. Because it took me a good uh, eight to ten months between the time I started thinking about doing it and the time I actually launched. Um, because as as you learned, there's a lot to learn about you know, how to go about starting a podcast. Um, and, and how to, I should say how to go about starting a podcast in the right way, as opposed to just kind of stumbling along. Now, 
whenever yeah. you're starting something like that, you're always going to stumble along, right? But you want to do the least amount of stumbling possible, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I, I learned a lot before I got going, and I'm, I'm sure you did too. But there is a lot of time that goes into it. And so when uh, at the end of my episodes, when I make a, 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 um, a plea for donations and saying any amount of financial support helps, it's I'm, I'm serious because it takes a lot of time to, <laughs> to put this stuff together. I'm sure you understand that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, um, I, I didn't take, I, I think probably the time that I, I should have between idea and execution. I, I think within two weeks of, of me saying, well, if nobody else is doing this, maybe I could, uh, you know, two weeks after that, I, you know, I was kind of up and running and, and getting people to, to interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was fast. And, you know, fortunately I, I did not come across that podcast. However, I was able to, uh, you know, steal liberally from you and your efforts. <laughs> well, and what, do, and what what does Rich say on his website? Where, how does he talk about this? What? <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. And I, you know, this, this always goes back to other people, right? Everybody has a mentor. And, and I will say that, um, the two podcasts that I think made the biggest difference to me in starting out a podcast were Leo Laporte and his tech guy podcast and Seth Andrews and his Thinking Atheist podcast. I think that they are the best podcast hosts that I have ever heard. And I have listened to a lot of podcasts. And I just, I took so much from what they do about um, trying to keep listeners engaged and and making sure that what you're talking about is something that they're interested in. Um, And so I appreciate the fact that you got some of that from me. I feel great. I feel like, Hey, I could pass something along that that's fantastic to me. As far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm done. Right. (laughs) That's, that's great news for me. So I'm I'm really glad that you got yours um, off the ground and how's it been going? You know, it's been going really well. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's got about the reception that I kind of expected a brand new podcast to get you know, just download wise. Uh, I, I try not to look at the numbers just yet. Um, and, and just kind of listen to the people that reach out to me. Um, but the people that I've been interviewing and getting on the show, uh, they've responded well, it's been some fantastic conversations. And so, you know, my, my thinking is, uh, you know, at this point it's so early that I, I almost don't know who my audience is mm-hmm. out, out outside of, you know, the people that I'm already talking to. Sure. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of geek out and, and talk to other geeks that geek out about the things that I geek out about. And, and that's and, key. And, I, I, yeah. I got to say, I think that that is, that is totally key is that what you're doing is a podcast about something that you are really, really interested in. And, and I think that will work. That, that's what's going to drive it forward. Uh, that, that's my hope. And, you know, if, if any casting directors out there happen to listen to it and think, oh, yeah, Urban Fantasy, James Anderson Foster, you know, that's not going to hurt me either. Nope. No, that, <laughs> I'm, that, that, I'm happy for them to make that connection in their brains. Yeah, no, that's great. The The episodes that I've listened to so far, I think I've only... I think that the only episode I haven't heard so far is the most recent one, um, but it's, it's been great. It's very clear that you are very interested in the topic that you were talking to your uh, your guests about. So, so that's great. And I certainly hope that comes across with mine as well, that uh, I, I love talking about this stuff, uh, whether it's narrators or engineers or casting directors or whoever it is, I, I find the whole, uh, the whole audiobook industry 
really, really interesting. And so I think yeah. that if if that's the case, um, hopefully that comes across to, to everybody listening. Um, so that's great that you started that. There is another aspect, though, that I think is even more important to the majority of people who might be listening. And that is the fact that you coach audiobook yes. narration. How did that come about? Um, you know, it, it kind of came about... Um... First off, I, I want to mention the, the name of my coaching is Fostering Characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm bringing it up not, I, not I only to plug myself. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, actually, uh, I bring it up to give credit to A.T. Chandler because he came up with the name. Ah. And I thought that was it was just brilliant. And so, as I did with Scott Brick, I have stolen, well, I mean, with his permission. Right? He gave me the name to use. But, yeah, it's totally his idea. Mm-hmm. And it's a, just a brilliant name. Um, but the coaching sort of came out of... Uh, a need that I had with my own acting. Um, and, and that's, I, I really wanted to go on creating real characters, a bunch of them at a time. And, you know, kind of coming from a, a method acting background, I didn't, I, you know, I, you, do, you don't have three months to prep one character who has just, you know, one set of lines out of a 90-page screenplay. Sure, yeah. Uh, you, you've, you've got a week to prep a 350-page book with 200 different characters. Um, <laughs> well, when you put it that so, way, it sounds a little more difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it sounds like work when you talk about it like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I kind of took my two backgrounds of, of acting and psychology and, and mushed them together to see if I could find a solution. And, and I did. I, I found something that, that, you know, seemed to really work for me. And after a while, I got kind of curious, uh, it, you know, if it was just me, like if it was just to have enough of the right backgrounds that this would work for me or if it was something that, that would be helpful to other people. And so, you know, I ran it by a couple of other uh, actors and, and coaches that I know. I shared it with Sean Pratt, with uh, Scott Brick. Um, I don't know if I can say his name too many more times. Scott Brick, Scott Brick, Scott Brick. Um, <laughs> I've heard of it. Yeah, you know, let, let me let me pick up that name there really quick. I, I think I dropped it. Um, and, you know, I, I got enough good feedback from them that I thought, well, all right, I'll, I'll open it up to some beta testers and see, see what other people think. And, uh, you know, the, the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, I went back to, uh, went back to Otis, spent of time talking with Sean Pratt about how to fine tune it, even had a session with Jeffrey Kafer on just the business aspect of, of stuff and, uh, and rolled it out. And, and that's what it is now. It's, it's really a, a course focused on a, a specific set of techniques that I've developed out of both acting and psychology that help actors figure out who their characters are quickly, get into character quickly, and then bounce in and out of each character as necessary. Um, and, and people seem to, uh, they seem to find it helpful. I have seen nothing but positive comments online from people who have done some coaching with you. Um, give, me, give me a really brief example of what you, would, what you would talk about in a coaching session with somebody that wants to work on characters. Uh, well, I mean, without giving away any trade secrets. Um, right. I mean, I, I don't want we, you to go through like um, a, like an entire hour long coaching session, but just um, just <laughs> a, a brief example. Sure. Um, so uh, the the very first uh, exercise we go through, I call role exploration, and really it's a a tool from psychology uh, used in in various types of parts theory of personality. 
uh, treatments. And the idea behind parts theory of personality, and there are, in psychology, there are countless theories of mind and theories of personality, and frankly, all of them are wrong, uh, but all of them are useful in certain contexts. And, uh, you know, in, in parts theory of personality, um, the idea is that while we feel like a unitary personality, right? You feel like Rich Miller, I feel like James Foster. Um, and, you know, we may wear different hats throughout the day, but, you know, we're us. Mm -hmm. um, but parts theory of personality says that those the different roles that we play throughout the day, especially the big roles, the big life roles, um, you know, husband, wife, parent, child, sibling, friend, employer, employee, these big roles, they are different enough in our goals and desires and even physicality that they almost qualify as different personalities. And the idea is that they say that instead of, um, you know, instead of having one primary personality, what you really have is more of a board of directors. And what you do is uh, throughout your day, as your roles shift, you sort of seamlessly move in and out of whoever's in, you know, the, the hot seat in charge. Uh, for example, if I'm sitting on the couch and I'm talking to my wife and then my three-year-old walks in, I can turn and I can address whatever it is he needs and I can talk to him. And then, you know, if the phone rings and it's a publisher, I can stop and I can talk to them and then I can hang up and I can go back and I can talk to my wife and who I was, how I was behaving, what my needs were, what my, you know, physic, the way I physically carried myself was absolutely different in all three of those situations. I can just, and if I ever screwed it. him up, if I, yeah, I mean, if, if, if I ever talked to my wife, the way I talked to my three-year-old, you'd better believe she'd let me know something was wrong really quick. <laughs> no doubt. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and if you talk to your how, publisher, the way that you talk to your three-year-old, even worse. <laughs> right. Or, you know, I don't, maybe if I talk to a publisher, the way I talk to my wife, I, I might get more gigs. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, but, I but can you can see, see that, what yeah. I'm getting at. That mm -hmm. these are, yeah, they're, they're very different. And the way these roles are created, isn't all that much different than how, uh, roles, artificial roles in acting are created. And if we can, even without noticing it seamlessly and not ever forget, like we rarely forget who we're supposed to be, what role we're supposed to play in what situation, unless it's a brand new context or something weird happens, in which case we normally say something like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did or said that. That's, that's totally not like me. Mm -hmm. well, you know, it, it is just not in that context. You, right. you had a role miss role mistake there. Um, but yeah, this is something that our brains are hardwired to do. We are absolutely built to play different roles in different contexts and to switch I mean, just at the drop of a hat, switch in and out of them with zero prep. Like at no time do I have to stop and tell my three-year-old, you know, hold on, Simon, daddy's got to get in character, you know, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm dad. What's my motivation? That's mm -hmm. right. I want to make sure he doesn't die. Uh, you know, we, we don't do that. Um, the only time it becomes an issue for us is when we want to do it intentionally as actors. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what we work on in fostering characters is how to take those muscles that we've already developed to do this exact same thing and get out of our own way and apply them in acting because yeah, we're, we're already hardwired to do this stuff. That's fantastic. That I, I think that is a great description of, uh, of 
why it is that what it is that you're coaching on might be a, a good choice for someone. Let me ask you this. Um, so mm-hmm. you do both nonfiction and fiction. What you just described sounds to me like it's great for fiction, but I'm having a little bit of a hard time seeing how it might be appropriate for nonfiction. Do you normally coach? I mean, is the point of your coaching the fostering characters for fiction or is it does it really work uh, across the board? You know, it it works to a degree, like it generalizes to a degree across all all genres, including nonfiction. But it is, like you said, yeah, it is absolutely targeted at fiction character work. Um, now, there there are aspects of this that apply to nonfiction. You know, trying to you know make sure that we're understanding what an author is saying, that that we're conveying, uh, you know, the author's intent with mm-hmm. you know. Um, but if if nonfiction is really what somebody wants to focus on, then I, I, I had point them over to Sean Allen Pratt um, and and his his coaching because I've, I think I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, you know he's he's been around. He's he's done a couple of <laughs> he's done a couple of books. Done a few books, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's really where you want to go if perfecting your your nonfiction delivery is important to you. This will help, but. You know, it, it is primarily targeted at fiction and and character work. More geared towards fiction. I know that um, there are a lot of people who really prefer that. Um, I'm kind of like you. I mean, I, I split mine. I, I love some of the character work. One of the most recent books that I did, uh, Currency of Souls, I just, I loved doing that. It was, uh, most of it was first person, and I just... I felt like I was this guy. And, and so I love that character work. But, you know, half of my work is nonfiction. And I've, I've gotten to the point where I really love that stuff, too. I'm, I'm really getting into um, trying to present information to somebody in an interesting and engaging way that they're interested in hearing. So, But I know that a lot of people are very much more geared towards... I want to play these characters. I want to do the voices. I want to do the people. I want to, you know, totally encompass them. So it sounds like what you're describing is, is perfect for that. Yeah. And, you know, and to, as much as I love the character and fiction work, uh, you know, you got to give props to the nonfiction side as well. And I, I have heard from numerous people, not just Sean Allen Pratt, uh, but I've heard from, from publishers and casting directors as well, that if you do nonfiction well, you know, then there, an entire like extra realm of, of, of audiobook work opens up to you. Oh, because absolutely. There, yeah. There, there's so many that just won't do it or, you know, or they don't do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it drives me crazy when I hear, uh, you know, when people talk about how there's no acting in, in nonfiction. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, you, you may get a nonfiction book that you are fascinated by and, and engaged in and that you find so very interesting. But, you know, those, those are rare gems. Uh, I'd say at least six out of ten times. Um, this isn't a topic I would normally be reading on. Right. You know, this isn't. But. I can't read it like I don't care because the person who wrote it, you know, developed months or years of their life and they're incredibly passionate about what they're trying to convey. And the people that buy the book and want to listen to it are also really interested in that. And I, I owe it to both parties to be as engaged. I mean, this if, if you're listening to an, uh, a nonfiction audiobook of mine, hopefully, you know, it, it, it sounds like I'm very interested 
in the topic Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I'm engaging and that's, that's definitely acting sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you there. Um, I continue to think that nonfiction is at least as difficult as fiction, um, depending on what, what you're trying to accomplish, but, uh, it's, it's, it can be very difficult, uh, and, and not being engaging, not being interested in the subject, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, comes across. And so yeah. if you really aren't interested, uh, that, that is not a good thing for a nonfiction book because the people who are looking at that book are, are not just randomly picking this nonfiction book. They're picking it because that topic is of interest to them. And if you can't do it with interest, if you can't keep their interest, then that's a big problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, that sounds great. Uh, so what advice do you have for aspiring narrators out there? Um, maybe a, a few things that have come up in some of your coaching sessions or things that you've encountered along the way in your own career? I would say don't do it. Stay away. Yeah. <laughs> Just so that you can get more titles, right? Exactly. <laughs> quick, quick competing with me. No. Um, you know, honestly, I, th- I think the the best advice I, I could give is to look at what's being done, right? Find out what works there. You're not going to reinvent any wheels here. If you really want to do audiobook narration, listen to a ton of audiobooks. Just listen to a ton and don't necessarily listen to just the ones you're interested in. You know, listen to that. Listen to listen to them for pleasure, but also listen to them for technique, listen to them like it's a class, you know, how does somebody do this? How does somebody do that? Um, if you're, if you're interested in pursuing fiction or nonfiction, uh, and a specific genre, you know, pick up audiophile magazine and see what books are getting rated the best in that genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, see what books are winning awards in that genre. See what books are popular on audible, you know, that are, that are in the top, uh, 50 for that genre and listen to them listen to what the, you know, the, the highest rated, the best reviewed, the award-winning, uh, narrators and, and audiobooks sound like, because I, I see so many questions from, from new narrators where they're struggling to try and figure things out when they don't have to. I mean, the, the answers are there, you know, it's, you're, you're never, I shouldn't say never, but you're, you're almost, you're hardly ever going to be the first person to encounter whatever question you have, mm-hmm. you know, how do I do this? How should it be done for this? You know, odds are good. There are about 150 other books that have dealt with this. And so if you're, if you're listening, if you're cultivating a broad and, and deep, uh, experience of, of audiobooks, then you're just gonna, you're already going to know, oh, this is, this is how, you know, this is done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. don't reinvent oh. the wheel. Exactly. Don't reinvent the wheel and just listen to a crap ton of audiobooks, especially mine. <laughs> I like that <laughs> advice. That's good. I think anybody could could appreciate that. So, uh, so James, that is that that all sounds great. Where can people find you if they're looking for you online? Oh, online. I was going to say, where can people find me? Well, that depends on the Cincinnati, time. Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, they, <laughs> that's right. You know, there's there's a coffee shop just down the street from me that also serves bourbon, and odds are good that um, you can find me online at jamesnarrates.com. Uh, you can find out more about my uh, uh, 
uh, coaching at fosteringcharacters.com. And uh, I'm also frequently bumbling around Facebook yelling at people to get off my lawn. <laughs> I have seen you on Facebook a few times. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Are you, uh, are you on Twitter as well? Oh, I am. Uh, yeah. Also, James narrates. Um, I'm on uh, Instagram as, as James narrates. Uh, it, I try to make it easy for people to find me and also easy for me to remember uh, what my username is. <laughs> uh, but before warned, if you if you follow me on Instagram, you're pretty much only going to get pictures of of my pets and kids. Yeah. So no, if it's I, work related stuff, you know. I understand. I, uh, yeah. I'm still on Instagram and I have the account active and about once a month I post a picture, but it's usually of cocktails and, uh, and my dog. And that's really <laughs> about it. <laughs> uh, it really, it's yeah. Twitter, Twitter and Facebook that I spend the rest of the time. So, um, so anyway, that's great. That's great. I, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all the information that you have, especially about the fostering characters. I've seen nothing but great comments um, from people who say that they learned a ton even in just a first session. So uh, so it's been great hearing from you exactly what you do with that, and uh, hopefully that will help other narrators going forward. Well, it's been great uh, being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It has been my pleasure. I hope your, uh, your Bloody Mary was good. I'm down to one olive in my martini, and anybody who knows me knows that I drink three martini olive, three olive martinis. Uh, three martini olives <laughs> would be a bigger problem, but uh, three, three olive martinis. And so I'm down to one olive, and uh, that will be gone shortly. Well, uh, well, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you letting me be here. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to James Anderson Foster for coming by the Speakeasy to share a drink with me. I loved hearing about all the different careers he's had, and especially about his approach to coaching. I've seen a bunch of positive comments online about James's fostering characters, so if you need to up your character game, be sure to check out fosteringcharacters.com. And many thanks to the Audio Bookworm for sponsoring tonight's episode of the Audiobook Speakeasy. Be sure to visit audiobookwormpromotions.com and use promo code COCKTAILS if you'd like to pick up Jess's narrator resource guide. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated and helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!